So our scripture reading today comes from Colossians chapter 1, verse 1 to 23. Listen as I read. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the world just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, a dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a worthy life of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with power according to his glorious might, so that you may have endurance and patience. And giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile himself to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish, free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard 
and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, have become a servant. This is the word of the Lord. I count it a great privilege to share God's word with you this morning. My family is here, a lovely family, joining me here. I believe I spoke here before, but that was a long time ago. So it's good to be back, and thanks for the opportunity to bring God's word to you this morning. As you know, our topic today is Jesus is enough. Now, I remember the first time when we decided to buy a house, the current house we're living at right now. That was about eight years ago. Like every first-time home buyer, we looked at all kinds of houses. See, I never knew that it was going to be a hard thing to kind of make a choice about the house you want to live in. We looked at all kinds of houses, freeholds, townhouses, condos. I never knew houses have different names back then. We looked at different neighborhoods, uh, old houses, newer houses. We talked to our friends. We, we considered and compared all kinds of prizes to know which one we wanted. And eventually, we found a house that we liked, and we put an offer out for it. But then our agent came. He told us, sorry, that house has been sold. And so we started the process again. But by this time, um, we had learned a few lessons. So one of the lessons was this. Once we found a house that we liked, we're just going to put an offer on it straight away. Thankfully, those were not the days like this when the bidding war is so crazy, like we have going on right now. And so once uh, our realtor found us a house in our price range, we went to see it. We loved it. It had a fenced backyard. It was, it was really great. It had a wide deck. And so we made an offer, and we got it. But then the closing date was going to be like two months afterwards. It was hard to wait. So every once in a while, I will intentionally just drive to the location of the house just to make sure it's still there, <clears throat> that nobody has taken it away. And anyway, two months after that, we got the house, we moved in, and it had everything that we wanted. Um, but after some months, I started feeling somehow, I started noticing some things I didn't like about this house. I started feeling, this house is not enough. Why did we settle for this house? We should have looked at other houses. I started noticing whenever we went to our friend's house or whoever's house we went to, I noticed some things that they have in their house that we don't. Why did we settle? Oh, that one has two garages. We only have one. Oh, it, they have a, light, um, a wide foyer when you enter their house. House is so small. Why did we settle for this house? Do you ever have that feeling that something is not? enough. You need to add to it. And so you begin to explore other options, other possibilities, hoping that you're going to see and see something better. But even as you do that, the new thing that you see, there's still something about it that you don't like. That feeling of not being enough never seems to go away. You question everything. You see, it's this strange and annoying feeling that never just 
go away. It keeps, it's just in your head. For me, what helped me eventually to deal with this not enough mentality was, I had a conversation with myself. I said to Yossi, listen, you bought a house. It is a lot of money. There are great things about this house. And that is why you bought it. See, I had to get out of this looking for house mood and get into this, you bought an amazing house, settle down in it mood. I had to remind myself to cherish the things that we saw in the house in the first place that made us buy it. And that helped. It's been a great house. Although my kids nowadays are saying, Dad, it's time to move. Not in this kind of climate yet. We'll wait. <laughs> I think when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, we need to do kind of like the same similar thing that I did that helped me to settle in the house. We need to keep recalling the reasons we fell in love with Jesus and why we follow him despite the odds. This is important because it's so easy to forget. It's so easy to drift away and listen to other voices, philosophies, ideas that are clamoring for our attention, trying to give us meaning in life, purpose in life. And as you know, um, today, you hear a lot of people deconstructing their faith and losing their faith, questioning their faith. And while some also are rediscovering their faith after that, some are drifting away, and that is a very sad thing. Now, it's not a bad thing to actually struggle in our faith, because the believers in the early church went through similar experiences as well. Many of Paul's letters to the church were written to encourage people who are in similar situations. And you see, sometimes the best way to deal with the struggles that we have, with our doubt, with the confusion about God, sometimes even about Jesus, is to remind ourselves why we believe in Him. To dig deep into Him and ignore. Ignore all those other voices that seem to pull us apart. Kind of like I did with my struggle with this house. Reminding ourselves about who Jesus is helps us more than we realize in those difficult times. And so here, Paul wrote this letter to the Colossian church. These believers were dealing with all kinds of things, um, heresies, doctrinal stuff, that was causing them to doubt things about God, about the message of hope that they had received. And Paul wrote to encourage them that, guys, girls, the message that you've received is a good one, is a trustworthy one. Stay with it. It's enough to carry you through whatever, thing you're, go whatever you're going through in life. Basically, Paul told them, when you have Jesus, you have all that you need to find meaning 
and purpose in life. Jesus is enough. So for the rest of my time this morning, I want to say, talk about four things based on this text that reminds us and helps us to know that Jesus is enough. So I begin with the first one. Paul helps us to understand here that um, Paul reminds us about our identity, who we are, whose we are. In verse 2, he said, I'm writing to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from our Father. Now, on one level, that is just Paul writing a letter, like you write a letter to people you write, Dear John. But on a more deeper level, Paul is reminding them, is reminding us about our identity, that we belong to God. He says, you are God's holy, faithful people. Now, I don't know about you, but that's not the way I usually think about myself. We we often think about ourselves from the perspective of our failure, of our weakness, of our shortcomings, and our sin. And we're so conscious of that, and that's true. But God looks at us, not on that, but based on the performance of Jesus on our behalf. And that is an amazing thing to think about. So here's a question for you. You don't have to answer me. But think about it. What do you think God thinks about you? How do you think God thinks about you? I'm not asking for those right answers that we are. I know God loves me type thing. But how do you think? I guess the answer to that depends a lot on our experience of Him. If you experience God as a taskmaster... That informs how you think about him. If you experience him as one who is so far away, it informs how you, what you think about him. But in this text, God tells us who we are and how he thinks about us. Holy. Faithful. We need to constantly remind ourselves about this truth. I am loved. You are loved. I am accepted in the beloved. God looks at me and you with love and favor. God's grace and mercy are over me. It's over you. Paul says grace and peace to you. In other words, he said God comes to you in peace, not in war. God comes to us with an attitude that says, I love you. I want you. I'm at peace with you, even though you struggle. I love you. I understand your weakness, and I want to do all all that I want to do in your life to make you become who I intend for you to be. You see, that's the Father's posture towards us. It's a gracious posture posture. It's a posture that invites you to come closer and to dig in and to discover who this amazing God is, who Jesus is, to know all that he offers us is enough to sustain us. 
So that's the first thing. Another thing Paul reminds us here, he reminds us about the hope that we have in Jesus. In verse 3 to 5, he says this. I'll read it for you again. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven, about which you have, you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the world. See, Paul is telling us, he's telling them, your faith, your love is springing from this hope that you have. Now, this hope is not wishful thinking. This hope is not that you're daydreaming about something. I've been dreaming of a white Christmas. I'm not dreaming. I don't want it now. It's, it's summer. I want to keep summer. This hope is not fantasy. It's not a fairy tale. It's not the hearsay. This hope is a substance. It's something you can bank on. This hope is a person, Jesus himself. To know Jesus, to believe in him and what he has done for you, is to know that you are never hopeless in any given situation. That's the hope, the good news of the gospel brings to us. Friends, this is the hope that you and I have in Jesus too. Paul said something in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If only in this life we have hope, <laughs> we have all people to be pitied. Because what else do you have? Some people enjoy this life. That's all they have. Some people don't even get to enjoy this life and that's all you have. No. We have hope beyond this life. He gives hope beyond our circumstances. And this hope is not dependent on any external factors. It's not dependent on how we feel at any given moment. Because our feelings go high and low, moody, happy, sad, all in one minute. It's not dependent on that. This hope in Christ gives us a reason to sing when we have no reason to sing. This hope in Christ gives us a reason to hope when you're feeling hopeless. It is a living hope. Reflect on it. Meditate on it. Don't let any situation or circumstance take it away from you. Jesus is enough, and the hope he offers is enough to last for eternity. Now, moving on, Paul prays that we might know and follow God's will. And this is such a beautiful prayer. I want to read it to us again, verse 9 to 14. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have never stopped praying for you. Prayer is such a powerful thing. There are times in my life when I'm going through difficult things, I should be sad, I should be weary, but I just feel alive. Times like that, I just wonder, God, what's happening? I believe it's because somebody is praying. I don't know who, 
Maybe it's you, maybe it's anybody, whoever it is, thank you. Paul said, we never stop praying for you. Why? We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to the glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in his inheritance of his people in the, light, in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, brought us into the kingdom of, the, of light of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption and forgiveness. Now, one of the reasons that we struggle in our faith and fall for all kinds of doctrines like these believers we're dealing with is part of that is that we struggle to know who this God is. Of course, we don't see him. It's, better, it's easier to know something that you see than something that you don't see. And so we struggle. How do we follow him? In Colossians chapter 2, Paul was telling them, he says, some people come to you, they say, hey, this is how to do it. You worship angels. Some people tell you, do not touch this. Do not eat this. Which one is it? What do we do? How do we follow? How do we deal with questions that we cannot answer? How do you know you're truly saved when you doubt it? How, how do you... How do you cope when you're suffering? How do you live out your faith in a hostile environment? See, these are questions that we ask, and we look for all kinds of answers and stumble into all kinds of ideas and things to help give us answers. But Paul is telling us here, here's what you can do. Pray. Not just pray. Pray specific prayer. Pray that God will fill you with the knowledge of his will. Our God is not one that doesn't want to be known. He has made himself known to us. He, want, he came near. So Paul is saying, pray that you, God will fill you with the knowledge of his will. Ask him for wisdom. Says to the one who doesn't have wisdom, ask. We can ask him to flood us with the light of his truth. We can pray for strength to endure in the midst of adversity, strength to keep forging ahead. We can pray that God helps us not to give in to the pressure of the world to conform to its ways. Pray that God flood your mind to help you understand who this Jesus is. I want to encourage you to pray this prayer for yourself. When you get home, Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 to 14. Pray it over yourself. Pray it over your, your family, over your church. This is not just a prayer for the Colossians. This is for you. Paul is as much praying for them as he's praying for us. This is a life-giving prayer. It's a good prayer to pray, especially in times when you're weak in your faith. Moving on, Paul also reminds us to hold Jesus in high regard because Jesus is everything. Let me read for you from verse 15. He says, The Son 
is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in him everything might have, he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile himself all things, whether things on earth, in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Paul is telling us, when you have Jesus, you have everything. Jesus is the full expression of our deepest hopes and dreams. If there's anything you need so bad in life, Paul says it's summed up in this, Jesus. Seek Jesus and you find everything you need in life. You will find meaning in life. You will find purpose in life. He is the source of all that we're hoping for. Now, in verse 15, he says, um, Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. What does that mean? It means if you really want to know what God is like, don't just do it by reading the Old Testament. You're going to get confused. By the time you read Leviticus, what are they talking about here? Numbers? What are they counting? Then you read all the stories Go kill these people like God. Is God a God of genocide? You get confused. If you want to know what God is like, don't just do it by hearing what other people say or what you read in books. If you really want to know what God is like, particularly what God really thinks about you, study Jesus. Some years ago, I decided to read the Gospels. I read it different times and just looking at Jesus. And it helped me. It changed my life. Study Jesus. Study how he came to earth in a humble way. I mean, here is a king coming in obscurity. Nobody hardly knows that he came. Study how he was so much like us. He was eating. He was drinking. He went to the toilet. He was angry. He was like us. But yet, different from us. Study how he treated all kinds of people with love and compassion. Study how he was always on the side of the poor and the marginalized people of his day. Study how he brought hope to people like the woman caught in adultery. Remember that story? The Pharisees came, hey, kill her. Jesus said, if you haven't sinned, throw the first stone. They started realizing, oh, I cheated on my wife yesterday. Mm, no, I can't do this. And Jesus told her, neither do I condemn you. Go live your life of sin. Study how he brought hope to the woman at the well. Remember that woman? The woman that had five other husbands? And Jesus said, give me water. And she said, why are you asking me for water? I'm a, I'm a Samaritan. If you knew who was asking you, you would ask for living water and I will give you. See her and see how Jesus brought hope to her. She went back to the village saying, hey, everybody come and see. Come and see, I've met a man. A man that told me everything I ever did. Jesus brought hope to her. Study how Jesus brought hope to people like Zacchaeus. Remember Zacchaeus? 
a man everybody loves to hate. He was a traitor. Jesus had dinner with him. The next thing, Zacchaeus said, everybody I've defrauded, I'm going to give you back money. Study how Jesus spoke truth with power to the powers of his day who are oppressing the poor. Study how Jesus laid his life down on the cross and he said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. Study how he rose from the dead and gave power to his friends who were so terrified when they knew he was dead and how these friends began to change Rome. The Peter who was shy, who couldn't speak, earlier on he denied Jesus. By the time he saw Jesus, Jesus resurrected, the same people he was afraid of, he went to them. He said, you are the one that killed him, but I have a message of hope for you today. Study how Jesus is changing your life, how he loves you, how he's forgiven you. As you do all that, you get to know who God really is and what he thinks about you. You will find out that Jesus truly satisfies. He's all you need. He's enough. You see, this is the truth that Paul invited the Colossian church to be grounded in. And this is the truth he's inviting us to be grounded in as well. Paul goes on, he says, God has reconciled you. You used to be far, he brought you near. He now says in verse 23, stand firm with Jesus. Settle in with him. Do not be moved from the hope that you have in the good news. He encourages them, he encourages us to keep growing in love, loving Jesus. Keep being faithful, bearing fruit that show that you belong to him. Do, do not let, do not give in to all those distracting voices. You're too tall, you're too short. Nobody likes you, you're too white, you're too black. What do you think you have? Don't listen to that. Do not touch. Do not taste. Do not give in to any voice that is taking you away from Jesus. Back to the story I started with. You see, it's just a house. I mean, we could still have gotten another house that's equally good and even better than the one we have now. Because there are other options and it's good to have options. But you see, when it comes to Jesus... There are no other options. All you have, all you need is in him. Jesus is it. He's our hope. He's our light. He's the one that holds us together. He's the one that calls us to himself. Remove Jesus from your life. Your life falls apart. It's that serious. But put Jesus at the center of your life, then he keeps restoring. He keeps restoring. He keeps telling you who you are. As I close this morning, friends, Jesus is it. He is enough. He tells us who we are. He gives us hope. 
beyond this life. He says, pray. Just ask me. I'll fill you with every knowledge, what you need to know. And the more you know me, the more you know who you are, the more you know yourself. He's the one that holds us together. He is more than enough. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your love and your compassion. We thank you that you came to be one like us, showing us who you are and who the Father is. And Lord, the more people got to know you, the more they just like, wow. Who is this man? Sometimes they will say, who calms the storms? Who is this man? He's speaking so much with authority. Who is this man? Even the winds obey him. Jesus, you, you are more than we think you are. Help our finite minds. Holy Spirit, flood our minds. Open the eyes of our understanding to behold your beauty, your majesty, who you are. Lord, you know every one of us here this morning and those who are watching. You know all that they're going through. You know the ones that are struggling. Lord, how I pray that you visit them today. Help them to know who you are how they didn't make a mistake when they gave themselves to you, that you're holding them. In fact, you saw them before they saw you. Lord, I pray that you encourage one and uh, you encourage one, um, every one of us by the power of your spirit. Whisper to us. Tell us again who we are in you. And Father, help us to move away from anything that distracts, anything that pulls us away from you. Help us to settle in with you like you have settled in with us. Thank you that you love us and that you care for us. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.